0: Lord, we thank you for your word, we thank you for the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to have your way and just right now I ask you, Lord, that during this time I pray people will still be getting a fresh anointing tonight, just fill with your spirit, baptize your spirit of fire, just saturated in your glory, let the glory come over them. Lord, I pray that the word of God will go out of my mouth as living seeds of truth, sown into good fertile soil watered by the Holy Spirit, will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains, or that your word would be burned in us, become a part of who we are. We'll live it out. We thank you for it. We bless you. All right. Let's talk to you guys tonight. You know, We'll talk about the seven churches in Revelation. The Lord's so thick here tonight. Just, you know, it's wonderful. I love it. Just another recap about the glory, though. Remember the glory of God. The Bible says all the sin that falls short of the glory. The glory will not dwell where sin is. That's old and new testament. The reason why a lot of times you see glory, the glory is absent from a lot of places and a lot of people's lives is because they're really not right. And God won't share his glory. He doesn't play. And one of the ways you know that, uh, and I just encourage you this in these end times, you know, as you're, as you're going to, the Bible says there's going to be a lot of deception. So as you're going place to place and you're around a lot of things, a lot of people, look. For the glory, because where the glory is, I'm talking about this here, this weightiness, this heaviness. I mean, you guys feel that? I mean, you feel just the. We we have that all the time, but I mean, just where the glory is, that is where God's kiss is. But He will not be there if there's sin in the camp. If there's if there's unforgiveness. If there's bitterness. If there's hatred. If there's division. Whatever it is, it, it's it, He won't let His glory come where that is. Over the last three weeks, I did a series on the glory, but God, the glory, the same glory that's so wonderful is the same glory that will actually work against you if you play with it. You can't play with the glory. Some people want the glory, but they still want other things. They still want the world. They still want to live in, in the flesh. They want things that aren't right, and because of that, it, that the glory actually works against them. Corinthians talks about you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, but if you defile your temple, the Lord will destroy that temple. That's what it says. So you wonder sometimes why people are going through things. Listen, we can't have a double standard to play games. In Christianity, true Christianity is 100% or nothing at all. God has never accepted this, this lame. You know, in the Old Testament, the, the Lord strongly rebuked them for bringing these lame, blind, crippled lambs to sacrifice because they were supposed to bring a pure spotless lamb and the best they were supposed to give God the best but instead some of them were given God their worst and God never accepted that sacrifice and his, he's the same yesterday and today forever he does not accept these half hearted commitments anyway the seven churches of Asia let me just run through this just share with my heart seen a lot of prophecies fulfilled, there's a lot of prophecies to come that are about to be fulfilled, and God's repositioning things, but the seven different churches of Revelation 2 and 3 are prophetic in the sense that they speak of from the days of the early church until now. And as I go through this, I'm going to give you some things you probably never thought of. But see, that the first church that was written to in Revelation was Ephesus. Now, let's just go straight into this. I've got the notes, but you can take them with you. I just want you to hear me tonight and hear, hear my heart and all of this. Because the Lord, there's some things with God that, You get because of of grace, you get because of the cross as far as forgiveness and healing and deliverance and all that. But there's also some things with God that you have to pass some tests before he promotes you into them. And so tonight I'm talking about that. I'm talking about the Bible uses a phrase in the book of Proverbs that says, buy the truth and sell it not. In other words, once you pay a price for something, once, once God has put something on you, he's called you into something, and then he puts you through the fire. He puts you through the wilderness. He puts you through persecution. He puts you through betrayals. And all this stuff, and you, and you go through it, and you're paying a price. And once you get through that price that God gives you, it's something that you have. There's an ownership there, and there's an authority there. There's really a mantle there. And that's something that God brought you through a testing to have it. And that's why certain people you can see on their lives that there's a, there's a significant authority with certain people about certain things. Like for example, I mean, this is obvious, but like Benny Hinn with healing. But it did not come overnight. You've got to understand the price that man has paid, the persecution he's been through. John Kilpatrick, when you say his name, what do you think of revival? When you think of somebody like Larry Lee or Dr. Cho, what do you think of prayer? When you think of Kenneth Hagin, what do you think of faith? I could go down the line, but there's certain people that God entrusted something to them, but they paid a dear price. And because they pressed through and they fought through the persecutions and the testings and the trials and everything that the devil threw at them and tried to stop and try to abort their destiny, and they got on the other side, there's an authority there in their life that when they preach on it, it has a major punch to it. There's a power to it. There's an authority behind it. And there's such an authority that when they teach on it, it seems to go into people and just brand them and stay with them. So there are some things that God has called some of you to. But not everything is going to always be quick and easy. Salvation is. Healing can be. Deliverance can be. All of that. But some things that God has called you to in your destiny, there, there's a price to pay. There's a wilderness to get through on the other side. So what I want to talk to you tonight about is about the testing of the Lord. But see, Ephesus, I'm going to go down through this. The first church in Revelation was Ephesus, and it prophetically spoke of the early church that you read about in the book of Acts, specifically from A.D. 33 to about 100 A.D. And Ephesus means to let go or relax. But it was the first church. what, what What Ephesus was was this. they talked about the Lord said not to neglect your first love, which translates your supreme love feast. So it speaks of communion. But also when the Lord referenced Ephesus, he rebuked them and he said, but don't follow the teachings of the Nicolaitans. What the Nicolaitans taught was, they taught a heresy that our spirit man is without sin. Therefore, if you sin with your body, it's not a big deal because when you die, your spirit will go be with the Lord. So it's a heresy that condones sin. I want you guys to hear this. is important tonight. What the Lord is saying is, is that the, the church of Ephesus was birthed in the fires of revival. I've preached on this so much. I'm actually going to write a little book on this. It was birthed in the fires of revival when Paul went to Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. And effective door... Great revival, a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit took place. They were born in the fires of revival. And even though that was the case, the Lord, it shows that he said to not neglect that first love. And he's, the Ephesus means to let go or relax. And what happened was basically they lost the revival. Did you hear what I said? They lost the revival. The very thing they were born into, the fires of revival, they lost it. Now, supreme love feast means, um, obviously speaking of taking the Lord's Supper, but symbolically to me what that means is, is that we've got to stay with the basics. Some churches major on minors and minor on majors, and they're getting off course. Listen, It's not about a lot of the things people want to make it about. It's not about the coffee. It's not about the decor. It's not about all this stuff that's surface. Some people, I think, are a mile wide and about a half inch deep. It's not about all that stuff. It's about the house of God being a house of prayer. It's about letting the Holy Spirit move in power. It's about preaching the Word without compromise... It's it's also about winning the lost. Lost souls are the only thing we're going to be able to take to heaven with us. Job said, I came in this world naked and I'm leaving naked. You're not going to be able to take a lot of things with you. The only thing you're going to be able to take with you is other souls that you've won. And when you get into heaven, you're going to see them there. And that's going to be the greatest treasure there. But see, this is the first test. The first test is, are people going to get relaxed? Are they going to let go? Are they going to get their focus off of things that are the most important and get them on things that aren't important and lose the revival? The Lord clearly said, if you forsake your first love, I will take away your lampstand. lampstand is the anointing and it's revelation. I don't know about you, but that's the most important thing to me really is to have God in our midst and that His anointing and, and revelation from Him is coming. He's speaking to us. But let me tell you, you can get off course. There's been many people that, that have gotten off course, and that's what I want to talk about through this, this little teaching sermon. Is just, you know, this is the first test. We have got to stay with the basics no matter how far along we go. We are not going to get away from winning the lost. We're not going to get away from making this house a house of prayer. We're not going to get away from preaching, teaching the Word, and letting the Holy Spirit move. The basics. And some of the basics as well can be taking the Lord's Supper, the anointing with oil, water baptism, the laying on of hands, you know, freedom in praise and worship. These things are basic. They're elementary. But I think a lot of people are getting away from the basics. And we can't tolerate sin in the camp. And I know you know that, but you can't tolerate it. Because let me tell you, the minute you start tolerating sin in the camp and you don't deal with it, the glory leaves. So what's what's it? here's the thing to me. There's only one glory. There's only one Holy Spirit. But there's a lot of other places for somebody to go. You hear what I'm saying? I want him. I want him. I want his presence. I want him here. And I'm not going to sell that out to make somebody happy or to compromise anything. The second church spoken of is Smyrna, and it means crushed myrrh. Myrrh in the Bible speaks of suffering. This spoke of the ten days, which represented the ten emperors, from Nero to Diocletian. They violently persecuted the church. They would take Christians, the Roman soldiers, and dip them in oil and hang them up on a pole, light them on fire, They they would throw them into the Colosseums among wild animals like lions. This is all historic fact. There was a violent persecution against Christianity. This was the, the ten emperors during this time frame. And Smyrna was the city in which Zeus and emperor worship took place. Smyrna prophetically speaks of great suffering. This took place from A.D. 37 to about A.D. 312. But here's what this represents. The test... Of persecution see if God's called you into something he's got a prophecy on you like what I talked about the other day if you're marked there's there's a prophetic word on you you're blessed of a Lord you have a destiny you have a calling there's a, there's something on you and God is taking you somewhere I assure you that there will be a test in your life first off to try to steal revival But secondly, there will be the test of can you endure persecution that goes along with that calling. Because somebody that has a really strong ministry in the area of healing, like Anthony, for example, he has faced persecution about the healing ministry. But he refuses to back down, and he keeps preaching the word and keeps praying for the sick, and he's not going to let persecution knock him off course. But you would be surprised how many people do. They're called to revival. And so they have major attack come against them in that area. They're called to a deliverance ministry, so they have major attack in that area. Whatever it is, they're called to worship. And so some Pharisee, and there's persecution against the freedom of worship, and the Lord will allow it because he wants to strengthen you. The testing is meant to strengthen you and reinforce in you what God is doing in your life. Meaning if he's called you to something, and then you're violently persecuted for that, aggressively persecuted, you're going to cause yourself to dive into the Word of God, and you're going to get in prayer like never before, and your roots are going to go down deep. As I remember whenever I first got saved, the Lord allowed this because I grew up Pentecostal, and I remember I was around a, a crowd of people that were not, and they were always just against it. But I, I was very objective but the fact of the matter was, was that I knew the Bible enough to know that they were wrong and, and the Holy Spirit and his gifts and all that were for today. And you know what it caused, though, that persecution? It caused me to get into the Word, find it for myself, dig my roots down deep, get established in what I believe so that no matter what, it didn't matter what anybody said, I know what the Word says, my feet are planted in it, and I'm not going to be moved, and I don't care what they say about it. And it's caused me over the years to have all these different subjects that that I've, I've done the same thing with. I've dug my roots down deep. I'm established in what I know the Word says. And it doesn't matter what somebody else says because I know what the Word says. And it's caused me to get established in it. In revival, I'm telling you, the move of the Holy Spirit is something you pay a price for. It's something you pay a price because the devil wants to stop that. And as persecution comes, if you will press through, then God will allow you to be a a carrier. You know, I heard one time Brother Kilpatrick say this. He said, "You know, there was such a price to be paid for revival." But he said, "Now, he said, he said, please take what I'm saying the right way." But now revival is mine. It's in my life. It's mine. There's an ownership there because that price that was paid on the other side, there's a reward. You hear what I'm saying? These are testings every Christian in every church is going to go through. The testing to see are you going to lose the revival? The testing to see is persecution going to knock you off course? Some people a little little write up in the newspaper. Then you know some persecution comes against you know revival broke out in their church or whatever, and all of a sudden there's persecution and they can't stand it. Let's shut the revival down, just calm everything down, and they can't stand it. Listen, the Lord the Lord is fed up with that. Jesus does not care what people... When he was here, he didn't care what people thought. He lived his life to please the Father. If you live your life to please the Lord and nobody else, there is a real anointing in that. There's an authority in that. The third church was Pergamum, and it means marriage. Now, this is an interesting one, because Pergamum was prophetically speaking of the time from 312 A.D. to 590 when Constantine married the church and state to help his empire, and this perverted Christianity, and it led into the Dark Ages. Now hear me, this is important. The test of politics. Oh, let me say that again. The test of politics. All right, there's two things I want to talk about, and I'm not going to dwell on this first one very long. But there is a line of demarcation separating the kingdom of God and earthly kingdoms. Are you hearing me? It is good for a preacher in a church to stand for truth and and to say things to influence the political realm to some extent. But we cannot get too focused on that because they are earthly kingdoms. When Jesus comes, he says that the kingdoms of this earth will become the kingdoms of our Lord and our Christ. When he comes, he's going to take over. So we're supposed to pray for the kingdoms of the earth. Paul said to Timothy, pray for those that rule over you that you might live in peace. This pleases the Lord. So we're to pray and we're to be active. You need to vote and you need to vote righteously. And if you don't vote and you don't like what happens, don't say anything around me. Because somebody that doesn't vote, don't have a say-so. Okay, you need to do those things. But bottom line, we are not going to pervert Christianity by trying to, to marry together the kingdom of God with secular kingdoms and get too active. There have been people historically that have been preachers. They've been called to be apostles. They've, they've had an authority on their life, but they instead they went into the secular realm and ran for an office of something like a governor, and they ended up getting off course big time because they took their spiritual gift and tried to use it in the secular. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I could name names. It was a mistake. When Constantine married the church and the state, it perverted Christianity, and it led into the Dark Ages. So don't cross that line. The things of God are the things of God. I'm not going to defile the holy pulpit talking about all this political garbage. That's for Fox News, which is the best news channel, by the way. (laughs) Royalties can be sent to me. Where The second test of politics is this. The second test of politics is politics in the church. The one thing that I can't stand, and, and I really can't stand it, and I hate it, and I believe God hates it, is the politics in the church where people are treated like royalty because they got money, and people are treated like dirt because they don't. The book of James condemns it, it's sin. And I believe when people do that and they cater toward people with money, I believe it grieves the Holy Spirit and it causes the Holy Spirit to lift. Remember Jesus and the widow's might. All these Pharisees were throwing bags of money in the offering and the widow took her penny and put it in the offering and Jesus says she gave more than all of them. The Lord looks at the heart. He does not look at those things. And politics has got to get out of all churches and out of denominations, but that would take a major miracle bigger than raising the dead. But for me and for this ministry, there's just not going to be politics. Politics has everything to do with manipulation and control. It does. It wants to manipulate. But there will be a test of politics where somebody comes in that's got a lot of money or whatever, and they want to dictate policy. And they try to use their money and throw their weight around. You hear what I'm saying? Y'all listen to me. This is good preaching. Amen. There's a test of politics. Are people going to put up with politics in church? church? And over and over I've seen this. It literally goes in and it's like a it's like leaven. The Bible says that a little bit of yeast goes through the whole dough once you allow that to creep in it spreads like a cancer and it can really tear up a body I've seen that type of control and I knew I know I could think of people in my mind where they you know there's people trying to dictate everything that went on in the church because of their political power in the church whether it was because of money or because they had like their large extended family all attended the church and they would level some kind of a A statement like, well, if you don't preach the way we like or do what we like, then we're going to leave and take off our money with us. And ministers are stuck in this situation. But that is what the Bible calls witchcraft control. Amen. Amen. That's evil and it's wicked. And somebody shouldn't be trying to throw their weight around and dictate what goes on. Listen, if everybody would just love Jesus and just listen to him, it would be a better world. It would be a better church. But what you have is you have sister so-and-so over here that wants the carpet this color you got brother so-and-so over here that wants the decor this way. Somebody over here that doesn't like the way this is done, this person. And it's like if everybody would quit being selfish and just think about let's let God's presence come in, let's go out and win souls, let's go after God, then everything would change. But see, that's politics. That's politics. I've seen where somebody would be on a board, an elder, and their wife wants something a certain way. They wanted a new chandelier or whatever. And they would, they would use their husband to try to manipulate to get things like that. And it's like, when will the church politics end? But there will come a test of politics. And we've got to keep the church holy and not give in to it. The fourth one is Thyatira. This means continued sacrifice. This prophetically speaks of the dead religious rituals of the dark ages. For about a thousand years, everybody say a thousand, a thousand years, the light of the gospel was, was snuffed out during the dark ages, during the time of the Catholic Church as they were in a position of power. In Thyatira, if you read this in the book of Revelation, it talks about that Jezebel was exposed there and it says that um, the promises to those that conquer are to rule over the nations. To have an iron scepter, which is somebody that cannot be manipulated. And to have the morning star, which is great favor. But let me tell you this. If you're going to be somebody that's going to fulfill what you're called to do, you are going to face major attack of the devil in those areas. And we talked about the glory the last three weeks. Let's talk about this for a minute. You want the glory? You want revival? Don't be surprised when Satan stirs something up against it. And the three things that seem to attack revival the most, number one is a a Leviathan spirit, and we've talked about this before, but it, it brings confusion. He said, she said, gossip, backbiting, betrayal, stabs in the back, church splits. The second one is a religious spirit. A religious spirit hates the move of the Holy Spirit, wants everything spiritually dead, and if you let it run rampant, it will kill the move of God. You cannot give in to a religious spirit. Religious spirit has to do with everything just toned down, you know, just calm down and don't let anything go on that's going to offend anybody. It's a religious spirit. If you want the glory, you want revival fire, you want the anointing. Like we talked about these last three weeks. I know people are hungry because I mean I've been preaching, I can feel it. You want it? That's good. I do too. But you're going to face the the persecution and the attack of the enemy. But just like Jesus said here, if you overcome the Jezebel spirit, if you won't tolerate it, and let me assure you that you will face it, if you don't tolerate it, he said he will give you authority over the nations. He said he'll give you an iron scepter, which means it cannot be manipulated, it can't be bent, when the iron scepter is widespread authority over principalities and powers. And he will give you the morning star, which is great favor. Those are the promises. But you've got to press through satanic attack And don't be intimidated and don't care what people think, but you care what he thinks. Amen? Amen? All right, Sardis is the next one. This means those escaping. This prophetically speaks of the time frame from 1517 to 1750, which spoke of the great reformation that took place in Germany through Martin Luther. This was a powerful move of God splitting off the dead Catholic church, which was a cult, And bringing the gospel back. So we talked about the test of losing revival. We talked about the test of persecution. We talked about the test of politics. But what I want to talk to you about now is the test of success. Did you know success has ruined a lot of people? So you picture the guy coming off the street, and he's desperate, man. He's, he's, he wants to go into boxing. And, I mean, seriously, he's got a fire in his eye about it. He's just desperate. He's going in there. He has no money, but he goes in there and practices every day. He's, he's punching the bags. He's, he's sparring. He's doing every push-up and crunch and, and every jump rope you can imagine. And he's just working so hard every day. And pretty soon he starts winning fights. He's going up. Next thing you know, he's gone all the way up to somebody with the title and he's whipped them. Now he's got their belt, their title, and now he's in a commercial. Maybe he's like the Cheeto guy now. You know, he's you know, and he's he's the man. The Dorito guy. He's the man. Well, here's what happens. He's eating too many of the Doritos now. Maybe they give him a lifetime supply. He doesn't want to, you know, he doesn't want to go in there and work out anymore. And he's getting lazy, he's getting slack. And then here's what happens, somebody else that had that fire in their eye and that desperation is working their tail off, and he goes into a ring where he should have easily beat this guy, and he he gets the fire knocked out of him in just a couple rounds, and somebody else takes his belt and his title. See, what happens to a lot of people is, is they're seeking God like never before, they're they're passionate, they're praying, They're, they're in the word, they're on fire for God. They're witnessing around them. I mean, there's the, there's literally like a fire in them, and they're desperate for more of God. Then pretty soon what happens is, is that revival starts breaking out. Things start happening. They've got speaking engagements. Things are going on, and they they lose that edge. And you look at them 10 years down the road, and, and they're just somebody that's just like an icon of what it used to be. They're just there. It's like a shell. They're just there. And it represents something that was, but it's not happening now. It's like now they've moved into yesterday's anointing. Instead of having a fresh anointing, they have yesterday's anointing. They're just a shell of what it used to be. That happened with Duncan Campbell. He had seen, you know, that great revival in the Isle of Hebrides. And he said he stood on a hill. It was a miraculous story in the first place that he was even there. The Lord spoke to him to go there. He gets there, doesn't even know what he's doing. And some people meet him there and said, Brother Campbell, we've been expecting you. It's like, how in the world have you been expecting me? But see, they were praying for revival. God spoke to him. And as he stood on, he, he ministered in the church, and it didn't seem like anything happened. And people were leaving the church, and they were going down this country hill. They were going down as they were going home. And Duncan Campbell stood up there and said, my Lord, the the glory of the Lord, the Lord's coming. And all of a sudden, the power of God fell in that city and changed that whole area. And some of you have heard his voice, and you didn't even know who you were listening to in some of those revival fire tapes or CDs, whatever As you're listening to him, you can hear his voice. But as time went on, the revival waned. He had this great reputation now, speaking engagements, everything. And as he's sitting there one day, with his little daughter on his lap, you know, out of the mouths of babes, his daughter said, Daddy, when's the last time you led somebody to the Lord? When's the last time you did, you know, this or that? And it just broke him, and tears came to his eyes, and he thought, My goodness, look at where I'm at. See, success ruins some people. Success can, can get you off track. People start looking at what's good and they focus on good instead of God's best. Because all the, the difficulty of pressing in and receiving from God, I mean, you face the spiritual warfare, you face the persecution of people, you face all this stuff, and after a while, some people are like, you know, it would just be a lot easier now that we've arrived somewhere, we've got some success, it would just be a lot easier just to calm down and relax and just enjoy our success. But the problem with that is that is that they're not pressing into, into the Lord anymore and into what he has for them. There's ministries and movements and places that at one time had been in the white hot fires of revival. I mean, it was awesome to be there, and now it's just like there's a plaque on a wall. There's there's something there that represents what was, but when you go there, it's like, man, what, what happened? The glory isn't there like it used to be. The fire isn't there. So you got to wonder sometimes in, in individual lives, in in churches or ministries or whatever it is, denominations, whatever. Where is the fire? You know, you look at many of these denominations were born in the fires of revival. I'm talking about Pentecostal ones. They were born out of the Azusa Street revival. Where is it today? Where is it? And so people got ruined by success because now they got success. They got money. They got a name. They Whatever their goals were. They might have been on TV or whatever. They 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 had all that they, you know, the dreams and the visions, and so they get that success, and it's just kind of just riding it out now. But see, before that success, they were really, I mean, they were pressing into the Lord. They were on fire for God. They they were pressing into His presence. They were passionate for souls being saved. They were hungry for revival. They were desperate. And you could see it in their eyes, and you could hear it in their voice. You could hear the glory in their voice. But then whenever success came, it just kind of, all just mellowed out, died out. The test of success. And that will face some of you, and it will face not only this ministry, it will face many, many ministries out there. The test of success. When you get what you were after, what God promised you, what, when it comes, are you going to keep pressing into the Lord for more Are you going to keep going after him with all your heart? Are you going to keep being passionate in your worship, passionate in prayer, passionate in the word, and keep pressing in? Or are you going to feel like, well, I arrived, and so now let's, you know, just ride it out? Because just like that boxer, you know, somebody, if somebody gets like that where they're just riding it out, there's going to be another person that's got fire in their eyes that the Lord will start using them. (laughs) Number six is Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. This prophetically speaks of the great revivals from 1750 to 1905. And this is interesting because it's not a test, really. It's the promise of perpetual revival. And let me tell you this. I call it revival. I like the word revival. I like the name. I use that word a lot. But really what it is, it's just God's presence. I remember talking to Mahesh, and, and he was... He's gotten a lot older than what I remember, but anyway, I saw him at this conference, and he, he's seen over a million people come to Christ. He's seen the dead raised. He's seen eyeballs grow back in sockets. He's seen everything a man could imagine. And I remember talking to him, and I was trying to get, it, get him you, know, to talk to me for a minute, pray with me, and he said, "I'll pray for you tomorrow, brother." You know, said, all right. So I come back the next day and I held him to him, I'm like, all right, but you said you said you'd pray for me." So I sat down beside him, and he's like, "This is what he told me. He said, people talk about all the healing ministry. He's this guy from India, you know, and he said, oh, people talk about the healing ministry and all the healings. But he said, it's just getting people in the glory. And he put his hand on my head and he prayed for me for an impartation. But the thing is, I felt that, too. It was a very powerful. But we talk about revival. But really what we're after is God's presence. Now, I love what I heard Nathan Morris say. He said, you know, people gather around a sermon in the body of Christ. They gather around a sermon, or they gather around other things. But he said, the people of Israel would gather around God's presence. See, the word of God does not have the life and the power in it. It could when there's an absence of God's presence. And so this is for those that have pressed in the promise of perpetual revival in your life. Listen to this. They've pressed in. They, they, they passed the test of not losing the revival. They didn't let the fire die in their own life. They passed that test. They went through persecution, and they passed that test. They're not going to give in. They, went, they faced the politics. They faced the spiritual warfare. And they pressed through and passed the test. God gave them some success and it didn't ruin them. They passed that test. And so what's next? Philadelphia. The promise of perpetual revival. In this passage that talks about Philadelphia, it speaks of an open heaven. It speaks of the critics of revival acknowledging God being with you. It speaks of the rapture one day. And it shows Christ's nearness. But this is my favorite one in verse 12. It talks about you being a pillar in God's house. You know what that means? That means that you live in his presence. A pillar doesn't move. You're, you're a pillar in his house, meaning you're, you're established in his presence. But what did we talk about? We have talked about all this about revival and passing these tests, but here's the last one the promise of having that perpetual revival in your life, but the church of Laodicea, this is the last church. This prophetically speaks of our time, the end times, the times that you and I are living right now. It it speaks of a time of entertainment, a time of wealth, a time of higher education, and also a time of spiritual complacency. the the area of Laodicea was famous for its wealth and its medical studies. salve was actually made there. It was created there. And it was sold there. But see, this is the test that you and I are going to face. This is the test of the end times. Remember what I've preached about. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And when the wrath of God came down, remember the rains came, the, the judgment of God came down, Noah and his family floated up. Then when the wrath of God subsided, they came back down again. It's a picture and type of the rapture. See, those that are going to be ready in these end times, that are going to be ready for the rapture, are going to be those, number one, that are living a righteous life. I wonder about Matthew 25, when it says there were ten virgins and only five of them were ready. I believe it's prophetic, but just think for a minute. Could it be prophetic that the Lord himself said that only half would be ready? That's very concerning. You know how many people out there are playing games right now? With Bible prophecy being fulfilled in front of their face. We know the Lord's coming is right at hand. And they're playing games. They refuse to forgive. They, they they got sin in their life. They want to be worldly. They, they want to play games. And one of these days they're going to wake up and there's going to be a rapture and they themselves are going to be left behind and have missed it. But number one, the test is righteousness. Are you going to live a righteous life? The second one is this. Enoch, the Bible says, walked with God. Now listen to me. Enoch walked with God and then he was raptured out of here. The second test is people that are going to have an awesome prayer life. And the third person is Elijah, who also was taken out of here, raptured out of here. And that what marked Elijah's life was the anointing. So you need to get where God is moving, and you need to receive as much oil as you can. Get filled up, get saturated in God's presence. Because Matthew 25 says that there were ten virgins. They were all ten virgins, but only five of them got extra oil. And when the time came, they were ready for the Lord's coming. Get all of it you can. But see, the test of the Laodicean church was to become lukewarm. The gold, it says, being sanctified by fire, gold refined in the fire. Let the Lord refine you with his fire and purify your life. The white garments that he'll put on you of his righteousness. The salve, which is the anointing that he will rub into your eyes and give you vision to see. He's wanting to prepare you for his coming. But so many people are not ready for his coming. But when he comes, he's coming for a bride that has made herself ready. So that's the last test. We're going to face the test of the end times. That the enemy will try to press down on the body of Christ and cause people to be lukewarm. And because so many people are in agreement with the world and they're deceived, they're going to become lukewarm. But there's going to be a great division in these last days between God's people and those that are not. And those that are truly God's people are going to shine like the stars in the night sky. The Bible says that gross darkness, thick darkness will fill the earth, but the glory of God will be on his people and it says that nations will come to that light if you pass these tests I'm going to close here in a moment with the sevenfold manifestation of the Holy Spirit But if you pass these tests if you pass the test of not losing revival you're not going to give in through persecution you're not going to give in to church politics and be manipulated You're, you're going to you face the spiritual warfare the devil throws at you and you go right through it you're not going to give in You pass the test of success. God gives you some success and it doesn't ruin you. You get in revival and it's sustained. You don't get lukewarm. You pass the test. God has something significant. He will begin to move you into your destiny. But these are tests that he is going to put on people to test them and see if he can entrust them. Because the Bible says those that are faithful with little will be rulers over much. Did everybody catch that? You need to be faithful with the little. You need to bear fruit where he's given you to bear fruit. You need to start seeking him like never before and begin to be used by him in the areas he's gifted and anointed you like never before. That That you're bearing fruit and you're being faithful in the little and then he'll make you ruler over much. That's the test. But see, here's another test, and I close with this, is the sevenfold manifestation of the Holy Spirit. You know, we know about, I've preached on the seven spirits of God. Number one, the Spirit of the Lord, but of of wisdom, revelation, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Okay, that's the sevenfold, and that's that's the Holy Spirit coming as the Spirit of Elijah. Okay, that was released into our ministry back in, I don't know, 2008, way back when, when Doug Holt came. Some of you remember that. The spirit of Elijah was released. The spirit of Elijah has to do with the hearts of fathers turn the children children to fathers. And it has to do with generational transfer. And we just talked about the seven churches of Asia, but I want to close with the sevenfold manifestation of the Holy Spirit. See, the Bible says in Acts 7.51... Stephen was rebuking the Pharisees, and he said, You are a stiff-necked people. You have uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your forefathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. How many of you know you can resist the Holy Spirit? First Thessalonians 5.19, it says, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. And that means in the, in the King James, it says don't quench the Holy Spirit. But it means don't put out His fire. And then there's also Ephesians 4.30. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Did you know that you and I can resist the Holy Spirit? We can put out the Spirit's fire and we can grieve the Holy Spirit if we're not careful. Unforgiveness, sin, tolerance of sin, division it grieves the Holy Spirit and he will not let his glory be where this filth is going on he'll lift. but let me show you this here's the sevenfold manifestation of the Holy Spirit number one he is represented as a dove even though he himself is not a bird okay he's God Almighty and whenever John the Baptist said he saw the Holy Spirit come on Jesus like a dove he did not see a bird Okay, he saw the Holy Spirit come gently on the Lord like a dove would. All right. And so the Holy Spirit is represented by a dove. Even though he's God Almighty, he, he's all-powerful. He could squish us like a bug. But he is gentle and loving like a dove. You can go outside and, and grab you like a raven or something. Just grab him and he'll chew you up. But you grab a dove and they're gentle. See, the Holy Spirit is gentle. He's a gentleman. But let me tell you another thing about a dove. A dove is quick to fly off. You know, you may go at a buzzard and it may bow up at you. Start coming at you, you know. But a dove, a dove is quick to fly off. And and the thing, the thing about the Holy Spirit is this, the Holy Spirit is quick to leave. He's quick to leave. And you have to you have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And some of you guys in worship, prayer warriors, those of you that are calling to the ministry, you better hear me. You've got to learn to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit because He's not going to yell at you. He's not going to go up behind you and slap you in the back of the head and go, Hey! He doesn't operate like that. I'm just telling you, He don't. Sometimes you wish He would. But He does not do that. He's gentle. And when He comes in, you really have to have your ear in tune with Him. And you have to set your spiritual sails where you turn them where it will catch the wind of the Spirit. The second revelation of the Holy Spirit, of manifestation, is wind. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's God Almighty. He's a person. I'm just talking about the the manifestations of of, of Him coming. So you saw Him on the day of Pentecost as a rushing mighty wind. He, He comes as a wind, but what does wind do? You know, I've heard it talked about the city of Chicago being the windy city, but you know there's actually the wind there that blows so strong blows out all the pollution out of the air. See, here's what the Holy Spirit will do. He'll breathe into your life, and he'll blow out all the junk that needs to go. And you know what else he'll do? When God made Adam, he picked him up like, a, you, know, like you would fashion some kind of a clay model, but he pr- picked him up, and he put his mouth over his like a resuscitation, and God breathed into Adam, and Adam became a living soul. The Holy Spirit is the breath of life. So here's what happens. The Holy Spirit will come in and he'll blow out all that junk that needs to go and breathe a fresh breath of life in you. See, some of you, you go through a tough week or whatever, and you come in here and you start worshiping the Lord and you feel it. You feel that wind just come in and just blow all that junk out and you just feel filled up with life. That's the breath of heaven. The Holy Spirit also comes as a fire. There's, very, there's nothing that can purify like fire. Okay, fire will clean, it will purify, it will burn up everything that needs to go. And the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he comes as an all-consuming fire, and he wants all of you, he wants you to be a living sacrifice, that you'll lay down your life on the altar and say, Jesus, take all of me, and let your fire come and burn out everything that needs to go. So the Holy Spirit comes as a fire to burn out the junk, but the other thing about fire is, see, the fire of the Holy Spirit will keep your zeal. It'll keep you on fire for God. It'll keep you that, that you've got that passion. That's the fire. The rain of the Holy Spirit, the rain of the Holy Spirit comes and washes and sanctifies. But you know what about, rain does this. Rain makes everything good fertile soil for the planting. See, when the rain comes in, like we'll be worshiping the Lord, the rain comes in and what's happening is the rain of heaven has fallen on you and it, the Holy Spirit makes you good fertile soil. So that whenever the word of God goes out, it goes into good soil. But see, you go into a a dry, sterile atmosphere where people haven't been in the presence of God, and you try to preach the word. And sometimes it'll go out, and it's it's like it's hitting rock, ping, and it'll fall down, and it doesn't plant. That's why the presence of God, the rain, is so important. And also about rain is rain. If if rain dries up, it's called a famine. And when rain goes away, everything dies. Some people, spiritually speaking, are dragging themselves across desert sands in their spiritual walk. Some ministries and places have lost it. And there literally, there's no rain and there's spiritual death everywhere. We need the rain to continually come into that life, the life-giving rain of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also comes as a river. That's why God gave me the name River of Life because it's in Revelation. But, you know, the river of of God, the river of God, it says flows from God's throne. And it makes glad the city of our God. But it also goes out. And those, listen, those that get into the river of the Holy Spirit, some of you, I've heard people tell me this a number of times over the years. I felt it. I felt water around my ankles praying with people. I've heard people tell me that when they fell out of the power, they felt like they hit water. But see, what it is is people are getting in the river. And the river of the Lord will wash over people and bring a cleansing. It will bring a healing. It will bring life. It will bring refreshing. The captives are set free. People are healed up. I mean, everything. It's like Once you're in the river, I mean, there's such a move of God in the river. The last two manifestations of the Holy Spirit, number one is oil. The oil speaks of the anointing. The anointing is where God empowers you. And you need a fresh anointing. Listen, some people live off of an anointing they got 50 years ago. And they think, well, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, that's it. You know, I have arrived. It's like, friend, listen, there's so much more than what you have. There's so much more than what I have. And there's so much more than what you have. Amen. Amen. The oil is continually flowing from heaven. We need a fresh anointing every day. We need a fresh anointing on our ministry. See, when you get alone with the Lord and you get in His presence and you come out, there's, there's a fresh anointing like a dew that has come on you. And when you minister, you minister out of that fresh anointing. And the last one is wine. And I wanted to save this for last because this is the most interesting And I love because I was listening to the the Mike Bickle teachings that, that Zach and Wendy gave me. But he talked about the wine of the Spirit, and it really was interesting to me. Because, see, the Holy Spirit, at any of these times, if you were to reject Him in any way, if you were to resist Him or try to put out the fire or you were to grieve Him, it's going to stop these manifestations of the Holy Spirit. The very things that people need the most. They need an encounter with God. They need to hear God's voice. They need to be in his presence, but you can literally stop it and don't think that you can't and don't think that I can't and don't think that a preacher can't stop it. As the Holy Spirit wants to come into a church service and he starts moving a certain way and a preacher calls it down right there and says that's going to stop. Enough of that. It'll break it. Now you may ask the question like I've asked the question in past, well, why does the Holy Spirit not just keep doing it? Because God subjects himself to his own word and he won't violate authority principles. He won't do it. And if a preacher don't want revival, that church will never see revival. And if a preacher don't like worship, that that worship service will be dead in those churches. But you cannot try to stop the Holy Spirit however he wants to move. And one of the manifestations is the wine of the Holy Spirit. He comes in and people get drunk and start laughing and acting ridiculous. Now listen... I knew, oh, I knew. Whenever I let the, you know, allowed, because the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, and when he starts coming that way, every pastor has the opportunity to say, Holy Spirit, I'm whatever you want to do, or they're going to say, I don't like that. Every preacher. Some of you guys may not have known that. But that's the way it works, and the Holy Spirit will not violate, and he he, he will pull back because he's grieved. You have resisted him. You've put out his fire. He will pull back. But see, when the wine of the Spirit started coming in this ministry, oh, I knew that it would stir up some things. I knew that some people wouldn't like it. I know that there's going to be some people that maybe they would have come here (laughs) had it not been for that. You know, but it's like this. Are we going to let the Holy Spirit do whatever He wants to do and come in His fullness, His full sevenfold manifestation and and we're just going to have a tough chin to take some of the persecution that's going to come with it? Or are we going to try to resist him and quench him and grieve him? See, when the Holy Spirit comes in, every person individually, but especially the authority of the church, has the opportunity to try to quench what he's doing or to let him do what he wants to do. And if you're not careful, you can grieve and quench the Spirit of God and resist what he's trying to do. You see, the wine of the Spirit, there's something about humility of receiving in that way. You know what I'm saying? That's why I think some whole denominations are not comfortable with that manifestation of the Holy Spirit. They're comfortable with some of it. But see, when you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got the seven spirits of God, which is, you know, the Holy Spirit coming in its fullness. You've got these seven different manifestations. And so you've got different dimensions of the Holy Spirit. Some people accept one dimension of the Holy Spirit and reject the other. But what they don't understand is this. If they accept the fire of the Holy Spirit, that's wonderful. But if they, if they resist the wine, then the benefits of the wine will not be in their midst. There is an inner healing in the wine of the Spirit when people are laughing that is really intense. There's an inner healing that could have happened in somebody's life had, the, had whoever not quenched the Spirit and let it happen. And I'm going to tell you, in these last days, the Bible clearly says the joy of the Lord is your strength, and people are going to need strength. And there's going to be times, I've seen times where the Holy Spirit came in here, and people were just bawling and travailing and interceding. And and man, if if the Lord's moving that way, then that needs to be happening. There's other times the Lord's moved in here, and everybody was laughing so loud, I thought, oh, my Lord, you know, people are going to be coming out of here looking drunk and carried their vehicle and everything else. But you know what? If it's the Holy Ghost, then Lord, do it. I don't care. Well, miss Brother Anthony he's not here with his whale that's what I have but listen man we need, we need all the Holy Spirit that he's willing to give us you know, let me tell you a quick story and I'm going to close with this story Brother Kilpatrick told the funniest story he said the Holy Spirit fell and you know different people seem to manifest differently under the Holy Spirit's touch you know I mean, some people will, it's just different. But this one lady would walk backwards, you know, and she would do something like bop, bop or whatever. And he said, I know, anyway, I was hearing him tell it. And he thought, listen, there was this real dignified doctor that came to church that morning. And the Holy Spirit moved, and there she goes, you know, bopping backwards and stuff. and, And he thought to himself, this is a true story. He thought to himself, my Lord, What's this doctor going to think? And, you know, here she goes. And, and sure enough, it's bad enough that she was doing it, but she turned the aisle and went into his aisle and fell on him. <laughs> and so he's in the pulpit going, oh, man, you know. And she's down there on him all manifesting the Holy Spirit. And um, he's sitting there thinking, well, we'll never see that guy again. Okay, you know. Well, you know what, that guy, listen, this is an important story because that guy came up to him after service, had tears in his eyes, and he goes, well, Pastor, you know that lady? And Pastor goes, he was about to say, yes, I know, and I'm sorry that she fell on you. He was about to say that, but the guy the guy interrupted him and said, that lady, he said, I knew that God was touching her, and you know, when she fell on me, he said, I came here and I was desperate to feel God's presence. And he said, this whole service, I've been sitting here, but when she fell on me, he said, the presence of God just came all over me. And he said, he said, you know what, he, he ended up wanting to be a member of that church because he could find God's presence there. See, a lot of times you judge by externals thinking, oh no, here she goes and what's going to happen now? But the whole time that's not even what's going on. So let the Lord move and let the Lord sort it out. You know, the Bible says that the angels will gather in the fish and they'll throw out the bad ones and they'll keep the good ones, you know. There's, there's a sifting. Let the Lord, listen, let the Lord move and let the Lord sift. He'll clean out what needs to go and bring in what needs to stay. But if you really want revival, you cannot, you cannot quench the Spirit by trying to call down every little thing. There's going to be some people that maybe they fell because they just wanted to fall and it wasn't God. But you know what? If they ever hit their head, they'll quit doing that, Okay. <laughs> There may be somebody else that they, you know, they want to laugh or carry on, and it's not really the Lord, it's their flesh. But if you try to call down every little thing and dictate, you're going to get into control, and it's going to quench the Spirit of God. So to a degree, we pray for the fire to come, and then everybody gets in the fire, and it kind of goes like this little explosion. And you just got to just sit up there and go, well, Lord, I trust you to... Take care of this situation. I mean, this, this could turn into something like a mob. But, you know, it's just whatever you want to do, Lord, you know. And it's amazing how he is so powerful, he just keeps it all under control. Yeah. I remember Rodney, Rodney one time was saying, I was this meeting with him, and this guy was doing like cartwheels or something. I mean, he was really going at it. And Rodney was up there like he does, just standing there looking at the guy, you know. And he said, well... We pray for the fire to come. We can't complain when it comes, you know. I mean, somebody's going to start doing cartwheels, you know, calisthenics or whatever in church. It's okay to have fun at church. You know, I think if more people had fun at church, they'd come. Amen? There's people out, you know, in bars and stuff tonight looking for something real. I'm going to tell you, when you get into God's presence, that's what people are looking for. You know, remember Saul of Tarsus? Man, that guy was something else until he had a collision with Jesus and got hit with the presence, knocked him off his donkey, blinded him. But you know what? He was a changed man. Man, I'm done, but he's not, Lord. (laughs) Whatever you want to do, Lord, I just i get Brianna to pray for everybody now. <laughs> Holy Spirit, have your way, Lord. Whatever you want to do, touch people. If y'all would, just close your eyes, lift your hands. He's here, Lord. I pray, fill people up. You'll drink it in because, I mean, that's what, it's you. You can just drink in his presence. Lord, just fill them up. Fill them up. Holy Spirit, touch. Fill. Empowered. A fresh anointing, a fresh fire. Consume them. Fire, Lord, fire.